Ladies and gentlemen, please listen carefully to the following announcement. Okay, good morning, one and all. Um, just those of you who are new around us, as I recognise week on week, there's always new faces, which I think is fantastic. But um, we're in a series, as uh, Gus said, entitled Centred, uh, in which we're realising that because we live in the 21st century in the Western world, that actually we discover that our lives are full. Our lives are full of just many, many good things. But the thing is, because our lives are so full, it's really important that we ensure that at the centre of our lives is the main thing, the thing that we want everything else to orbit. And for those of us who've put our faith and trust in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, what we've said is that at the very center, the core of who we are as a person is we want it to be God. And therefore, we want to live with this rhythm daily, often moment by moment coming back to, of saying that we want to be those that within the fullness of life take moments where we pause, where we center ourselves just taking stop and saying, actually, is what's at the center of my life at this moment what I want to be at the center? Is it you, God? And that from that place of saying, yes, God, it is you who's at the center, we then continue in and on in our lives. And we've kind of been looking since the beginning of this year at this rhythm that we can live with and how that being centered on God then shapes everything that we then do individually, but also shapes who we are together. Recognizing that when we get caught up in uh, the life that Jesus offers, it isn't that we then live as kind of lone rangers, kind of walking the earth saying, well, it's just me and you, Jesus. Actually, it's always that Jesus connects us to others who've also said that they want to sense their lives on Jesus. And that those communities then gather like this as church. And the church isn't a building, an institution or a structure. It's a group of people who've sent their lives around Jesus. And what we then looked at and have been looking at over the last few weeks is what does it mean then to be centered together? Because in the centering together, we then actually it shapes what we do. And so we've looked at what it looks like to be shaped together in our worship. Of us coming together to celebrate and, and center on who God is. We've looked at what it is to, to center together in, in fellowship, as, as Gus spoke about, of that we want to be those that... that value the big moments, the moments of us coming together like this on a Sunday, but also other moments, but also value the moments where we come in small moments as a small group and seeing the value of that, but also looking and saying we want to see that we're shaped in terms of assenting together in our prayer, of recognizing that actually we're this bunch of people that are continuously dependent on a God who's able to act on our behalf, and therefore we never want to shy away from coming to him and saying, God, would you come and be with us? 
And that isn't just something that we've said is, is, is to be for the keen few, but rather is something that actually involves all of us. It's just this deep value of us understanding who we are together. And it's that word together that we keep pressing home. And I, I think as, as a team, we keep talking about this and saying that actually we feel this is something that God wants us to understand more and more as a community. That we're not just a bunch of individuals. And in the culture that we live in in the 21st century, the problem with being a bunch of individuals is it seeps into our want to be individualistic. Of the world being all about me. But actually, Jesus and our faith in him suddenly causes us to no longer live with me and I. It causes us to live with us. And the beauty and value of what it is to be together. And how that shapes what we do. And as Gus has said, what we want to do this week and next is look at the beauty and value of how we're shaped together in giving. See, when we look at giving, we're going to kind of center right in. We, we could look at giving time. That's a very, very small commodity that most of us don't have a lot of. And we could have looked at that, but we felt actually it was right to look at giving of finances. And I want to look at that because, to be honest, we don't talk a lot about money. Now, you say we do every Sunday. But if you listen to what we say, what we say is, and we didn't quite say it this Sunday, but basically it is that actually this is an opportunity in terms of money when we give it for those who consider Oasis home to give into what we're doing. If you're a guest here, we're not after your money. You don't have to pay for your seat. There's a very big sense of who we are as a community is we don't spend lots of time talking about money because we don't want it to seem as that's what we're always about. However, it's important sometimes to pause and look at it because money talks. Stevie V, in his 1990s hit, taught us that. If you don't know that, I encourage you, go back onto YouTube and hear the classic hip-hop track that is Money Talks. Money Talks. Dirty cash you want to? Dirty cash you want to? Oh, Money Talks. Um, some of you looking at you, everyone who's born from 1990s looking at me, you are so old. I promise you, in the revival of music, it will be back in, in the next five years. And you can hear it first now that I said it would happen. And you think, man, this is so cutting edge. But um, Stevie V taught us. You see, money talks. See, as soon as I say money, it causes a reaction in every single one of us. For many of us, we think about the economic situation we're living in. The fact that there's just this toying continuously of saying there just isn't quite enough. And the standard of living seems to keep growing higher, but the standard of earning for the majority of us isn't growing at the same rate. And there seems to be coming this widening gulf within who we are as a society. Of even just what it looks like to live, you think, man, it's just different. You know, it just doesn't seem like money is there. And there's some who say, well, actually, it feels like money's fine, isn't it? I don't understand. What's the problem about and then there's this whole class of people and why we want to get on board with food banks that actually we're living in a nation now where there's this whole bunch of people that can't even feed themselves. That's the craziness of the situation we're in. See, money talks. Money talks that when you, as soon as you put money and church together, man, that, that brings a whole load of different thoughts. You suddenly maybe think of thermometers outside church buildings raising money for roofs. You maybe think immediately of what are they after? There's that moment of cynicism thinking, all right, they don't normally talk about money. Therefore, why do it now? Are they wanting to squeeze us? Or maybe it's not that. Maybe it's just that sense of guilt. We hear the word money, and we suddenly think, man, 
I just know what it's like for me at the moment. And I probably should give something. That's what they're going to be pushing me to. I should give something. And I, I just, no, I don't. And I, I, I feel a bit guilty. Or maybe it's we feel a bit sick. The mention of money is we kind of know what the economic situation is. We also know what our bank balance is. And we try as hard as we can to hide ourselves from it. We spend most of our time unopening mail, not looking at balances because it just makes us sick. I know what that can feel like. You just think, man, I, I want to look there. If I deny it, it'll go away. For some of us with money, we just think, let's, just not, let's not think about it. For others of us, when it comes to church and money, we, we think about the guy with the dazzly suit and the gold chains. You know, the one who just stands there and says, man, if you believe, touch the screen and riches will appear. And we think, I, I don't think Jesus is like that. I mean, oh yeah, money's just a bit weird, isn't it? We hate this whole prosperity thing. We say, man, if you name it, you can claim it. Man, look at the car park. We should be driving Mercedes and BMWs. Name it, claim it. No, that, that doesn't seem to seem right, does it? No. <laughs> <laughs> I thought if I paused long enough, someone would hopefully answer. This. Everyone's like, that is right, actually. No, it isn't right. Or was the application going to be, let's go around the BMW garages this afternoon? No. No. And, but then the other side is that then we start to think, man, money's just this, this hindrance. Maybe it's like this evil that just has to be tolerated. And we, we think, man, let's just... It's just horrible. Let's not even think about it. It just seems to corrupt. Or maybe it's that actually we just think, man, when it comes to money, there's just never enough. Man, one day, if I get, then it'll be okay. But, but to be honest, that one day doesn't seem to happen. And if we're not careful, we just live with this kind of sense of just this poverty mentality. And I'm not knocking. For some of us, that's the reality we live in. We just know that we cannot make ends meet. But for many of us, we just live and we think, man, I think back of my own life. I can think back of when Lucy, my wife, and I got first married. We got married pretty young. Um, and so I was 22, Lucy was 20. Lucy was at university when we got married. That's how young we were. Some of my friends, I remember them taking me aside and saying, Adrian, you're too young. And as part of me thinking, I felt young, but I knew that this is the right thing to do. And I look back at those times and think, man, we used to survive on so little. I think, man, I've got so much in comparison, yet it still feels like, man, have, have I got enough? I have to watch it and think, no, no, it's, it's never that I live thinking, oh, one day I'll have enough. Actually, it's today. This is what I've got. What am I going to do with it? See, money talks, and Jesus understood that, but it isn't that it's about money being at the center. It's rather that money reveals what's at the center. See, money always orbits our life. Some people are saying, oh, no, no, money's at the very center. That's what kind of governs everything I do and be. Well, that's not that. Money, just a peripheral thing. It's just like a satellite that orbits our being. See, Jesus understood this, and this is what Jesus said. He said, actually, if you look at where your treasure is, like you look at what's valuable to you, you look at your money, what you spend it on, that's where your heart is. What we do with our money orbits where our heart is. It reveals what's at the center. And that's why it's so important that we look at what it means together. And in that together, I mean, what does it mean for us as individuals? 
But it's understanding that there's something in us together and how we give that reveals something about who's at the center of who we are together. That when we look at giving, it's not ultimately about money. It's actually about the privilege of what we get to reveal and be as a community. And so what we're actually going to do, and you won't hear me talk lots about money today. You say, well, you've talked quite a bit already. You've talked about, talked about money and all that kind of stuff. Well, actually, what you're going to see is today what I was to look at with some time, 20 minutes, is to look at the culture that we want to shape us as a community when it comes to giving. And then after we've looked at this culture this week, then Gus is going to pick up from that point and next week look at, well, how are we then going to be characterized in how we give? So in essence, in essence today we're just going to look at why. And then next week we're going to look at the how and the what. But it's always really important that we look at the why first. And to help us do that, I want us to start where we've started the last couple of weeks, which is in Acts 2. We've got this story given of this first community that have centered their lives around Jesus and what it looks like for them. In them living, saying, actually, we're going to live together, centered around Jesus and how they influence those around them and how they live with one another. And we find, as we've looked week on week, we find this community of people, 120 that Jesus had left, saying, now go and tell this message to everyone. But you're to have power to do it. And understanding that God is with you, that God the Holy Spirit is going to come and dwell within you. And so we find Pentecost, that happens. And at the end of Pentecost, we find, as we've seen week on week, a community of 3,000 plus people that are gathered, living, centered on God together. And this Acts 2 passage kind of reveals what did it look like. So let's just look at Acts 2, 42 to 47. It says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What I want to do is we're going to use this passage as like a springboard. I'm going to be like Tom Daly. This is splash time tonight, today. And this passage is our springboard off that we're then able to see what the culture is looking like for us as a church here at Oasis and when it comes to how we're a community that's centered in giving. See, what we find out is that all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. In other words, they used what they'd got to benefit who they were together. Now, the danger is we rush to that bit and we think, man, they sold everything? Is this where we're going? Asian said we weren't going to talk about money first off, and now he's saying let's sell everything and kind of live in some sort of commune with a community pot. No. This was the outworking, this was the orbiting part of what was actually governing, what was centering, what their culture was built on when it came to giving. The outworking of them giving was they gave what they got to benefit who they were together. But they only did that, not out of obligation or duty, but out of a sense of a culture they'd formed together, something that shaped how they lived together. 
And we find that in the verse previous. So if we just stick that one up just by itself, verse 44. Acts 2, 44. All the believers, that's everyone. It wasn't like they're really keen ones. It wasn't like some of the guys over here were kind of okay with money. It was actually all of them. All of the believers were together and had everything in common. That's what their togetherness looked like. They had everything in common. Now, everything in common can feel a bit weird. Well, what does that look like then? Everything in common. It doesn't mean that they looked the same, act the same, spoke the same, and liked the same stuff. We can think of some kind of cheesy dating kind of um, advert where you get this couple who kind of sit on a sofa and they go, we met each other and we've got everything in common. We're together. Together. And they're like matching jumpers, matching glasses, haircuts that are matching. It's just looking odd. And you think, this isn't, this isn't like enticing to go to this surface. This is weird. You kind of are producing clones of yourself. I wanted a relationship and so I found someone who looked like me. Man, that's quite self-centered and weird. Man, to have everything in common isn't about looking the same, isn't about acting the same, isn't about being the same, isn't about speaking the same, isn't about liking the same stuff. Something much greater and of more value than that is actually the fact that we're all uniquely different, that it makes it so attractive to have everything in common. See, to have everything in common that was being spoken of here that we're going to look at that shaped who they were, is going to shape who we are, is it meant they had a shared sense of identity, a shared sense of purpose, a shared sense of being connected, and a shared sense of attitude. That's what governed how they then acted towards one another. That's how shaped who they were as a giving community. It was all about their identity, their purpose, their connection, and their attitude that were all together revealed in them having everything in common. So I want us to therefore springboard from this passage to actually look at that and how it shapes our culture in giving today. Because actually what's true for them, we're going to find is true for us. So what we find is that actually our giving comes out of a shared identity. A shared identity that we find in the fact that we're those that have centered our lives on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. A shared identity that shows itself because of the cross. See, if we want to understand why as a community we're a giving community, to be honest, we could just leave there. That speaks for it. That the fact that the center of our faith is a cross, an empty one that speaks of a God who knew that there was nothing that you and I could do to make ourselves right with him. And so he acted on our behalf and created a plan, an only plan that only he could do, that he would send his son Jesus to die for us in order to make a way for us to know peace with him. See, the cross speaks of a God who's giving. Our faith is built on a God who gave who gave all that we could gain all. But you see, the amazing thing is that the cross, I can look at it, the cross is like a prism. A prism that as you put the spotlight on it, it reveals just this multitude of colors. Colors that reveal the wonder of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. 
And so there's so many different ways we look at it. And the way I want to look at it is what is on the passage that you've probably read already, which is Galatians 4.4, because one of the things that Jesus has accomplished is he's caused us to be those that have been adopted, who are now part of God's family. And as such, that shapes more than anything else how we become a, a culture that is all about giving. See, Paul writes this to the Galatians. He says this, Galatians 4, 4 to 7. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made God has made you also an heir. Now, at this point, when it talks about sonship, I want to suddenly think, well, is God then anti-ladies? No, that's not it. Just as Oasis is not anti-ladies. Actually, God loves men and women equally. He created them equal. But when this is written, the, the word sonship was actually talking always about the eldest son always got everything got the greatest rights, the greatest value, and the greatest possessions. And what God is saying is the most fundamentally groundbreaking moment is saying that he sees everyone like that. Whatever your sex, whatever your background, God values us equally and gives us everything. See, for us to understand kind of the beauty of the cross, we have to understand that moment again that we were all slaves. We had this status that we could do nothing to get out of. That was slavery, that where you haven't got any freedom, freedom to make a choice, and we could make no choices. We were slaves in this status that actually said that we were now forever broken. Because of our want to do things our way, it meant that we live with this brokenness, a brokenness in respect to how we relate to God with one another, with the whole of creation within ourselves. And as such, that status meant that we weren't only broken, we were also restless. That whatever we did, however much we filled our life with different things, it means and did mean and will mean that it's never quite enough and we're always just left restless. And so what God does is he says, I'm going to send Jesus to deal with this. So what we find at the cross is that Jesus takes on our restlessness in order that he can offer us rest. That Jesus takes on our brokenness. He's physically broken, spiritually broken, emotionally broken in order that he can offer us wholeness. A wholeness that means that we can relate to God. A wholeness that means that we can relate to one another. A wholeness that means we can relate to ourselves free of guilt and shame. A wholeness that means we can relate to the whole of creation. And that would have been enough. And it were told here, it wasn't. See, that would have left us at this point of saying, man, God, you're amazing. You allow me now to know wholeness. You allow me now to know rest. And so I come as a dutiful servant and say, it is amazing that you've done this for me. And yet God doesn't leave it there. That was enough for God to give and say, but he doesn't leave it there. He says, no, I want you to understand that I don't call you dutiful servants. I want to call you sons. I want to call you my children. I want you to understand that actually you're only ever to relate to me as part of my family. You're not an outsider, you're in. You belong. See, that changes everything. 
certainly causes anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to not only know wholeness, not only know rest, but actually to know that we now belong to God. We're part of his family, which means that we can know that as we've just celebrated within our worship, as we've been reminded about continuously, that we are loved and accepted unconditionally. That's a family to belong to. I don't know what your earthly family's like. I don't know if the word family to you is like a swear word. Or whether the word family to you just brings up these treasured moments. Actually, regardless of what it looks like, it is surpassed by what we get to know as in God as a family. That we get to belong to one who will forever love us. Forever accept us, not because of something we do, not because of something we are, but because of who he is and how he loves us. And he gives it freely. So we get shaped with our relationship with him, knowing this. It also means that we relate to God in a different way. It means that in understanding that we're now adopted into God's family, that we are sons and daughters of him, that we are his children, equal status, equal value, we get to understand that God is our father. And a father like no other. And I know in the day and age we live in, man, I've got my own kids and I do my best with them, but I know I fall short. That's the reality. I'm a pale reflection of what the perfect father is, God. See, God as a perfect father is wholly, eternally committed to our best. That's what he's like as a father. He's after your and mine best. His benchmark for that is this. The cross. That he forever looks and says, guess how much I love you. This much. I have this book, and you've probably heard me tell this before, but with my kids, we've got this one book, and it's called Guess How Much I Love You. And it's this relationship between a parent and a child, but it's in rabbits. It's for a certain age of child. And then it's this child saying, I love you to the moon and back. And um, then the other one goes, the parent says, well, I love you to the moon and back and to the moon again and back. And it's kind of whatever the child says, the parent says, I love you even more. And then it gets to this point where the parent reaches their arms out, the big rabbit, reaches their arms out and says, I love you this much. And the little rabbit kind of reaches out and it, it can't put its paws between this. And they realize at that moment, and you, as you're reading it with your child, that child realizes at that moment that you love them more than they can ever comprehend, more than they can ever reach for. And that's what the cross is. It's the unique moment of God saying, the benchmark of my love for you as a father the purest father ever is this. This beyond your comprehension. It's beyond your reaching for. It's beyond you ever being able to reveal or reflect in its pure sense. That I loved you this much. That I sent my son to die for you. In order that you'd know me as a father. And the kind of father I am. Willing to give all that you'd gain all. In order that we'd be those that understand, man, if that's the kind of father we have, that's the father we approach. One who's continuously used the benchmark of giving his son. So it gets to a point where Paul writes in Romans, in Romans 8, how much more then? How much more will God give to us? If that's the starting point, God is a father who's after our best and wants to provide for us. That's why Jesus continuously, when he gets these moments of saying, don't worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. Don't worry about what you need. 
It doesn't say, bow the knee before an angry God who's going to potentially answer your prayers if you promise to do things for him. He says, no, come before your father and be quick in your requests. Teach us to pray and say, Father, give us our bread, our daily bread. <laughs> give us what we need for today. That's the God we pray before. That's the God we come before, a Father who's after providing for us. So it changes how we relate to God. It changes how we relate to one another. We'll pick up on this in a moment. But it means that we're not disconnected. It means that we're family together. Family with the best dad ever, who equally loves and values each and every one of us, but also causes us together to belong to his family. Which means that when we gather together, who we are is his family. We get to therefore reveal his family traits. Now, every family has traits. My family has traits. My family's traits are things like always trying to do too much, because me and Lucy kind of do that. Always up for kind of the spontaneous and do something new. Up for kind of meeting new people. And kind of also seeking to understand one another's day. So if you come to come around, which I know some of you have, on a meal time at tea time, the one question that gets asked is what was the best bit of your day and what was the worst bit of the day and what was the funniest bit of your day? And every single one of us answers that question. Why? Because of value, a trait of our family is we want to be in each other's lives. The same is true with this family, that it's influenced by the father of what the family is, what the family is all about. What's this family about? This. Giving all. That everyone can gain. It's a family like no other. That's continuously looking to give in order that others would be drawn in. And so therefore we get to live knowing that our family is always about giving in order that others would be drawn in. But not only is that, we get to be shaped with a family trait that understands that we're those then that live dependently. Dependently on our Father. Man, if we trust Him for our salvation, why are we not going to trust Him with our day-to-day lives? We trust Him with our eternal status. Then we say, I can't possibly get you to do this one, God. I'll take it from here. That's like proper nuts. No, we, we are dependent on our Father. We're not only dependent on our Father, we're then interdependent on each other. Man, this is like groundbreaking stuff. We live in a culture that says it's all about me or you. And that's getting what we need. And we need to just make it ourselves, independently of one another. We stand or fall on what we can achieve. And this like turns that up on its head and says, no, we're, we're this bunch of people, actually, who are totally dependent, weak and vulnerable, dependent on a God who is eternal and who can provide everything we need. And we're interdependent. We look out for one another. So we have a culture that we're family, we're shared identity. Man, I'm going to speed up now. Shared identity, shared purpose. That's the next thing. Matthew 5.13, Jesus says this, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, it isn't just that we have this shared identity, it's also that we have a shared purpose. A shared purpose that's all about what our family's about. That actually, we're continuously about revealing the family. Revealing who our father is and revealing that it's always about giving and looking to include others in. And therefore, Jesus says, what does that look like then? How do you seek to live as a family like that with those family traits? We live by being light and salt. 
by causing people to taste and see how good this family is and how good this father is. In the way you live every moment, that you're causing people around to say, actually, man, I've started to taste and see, and it's causing me to see that God's good. And ultimately, we draw people in in order that they come and realize that what Jesus offers at the cross is for them. That they get to receive fully and taste and see fully that God is good and get drawn in and be part of his family. See, we're shaped together with this sense of purpose. That what we're here to do isn't to kind of be some club to kind of prop one another up, but with this great destiny of revealing the family that we're part of. And if we give all to be part of it, which brings us to the next thing. The culture is that we're not only shared in terms of identity, purpose, but also connection. We're not like some loosely bunched group of people who kind of know some people and think, well, I kind of hang out there because it seems fun, a little bit of a vibe. Occasionally, the talks seem relevant, the worship seems to be okay, and it meets in a kind of unusual venue. So I connect. No, no, we, we have this shared connection because we're part of the same family. A family that says we're interdependent of one another. We know one another. We value one another. We understand that actually there's something greater of being together than there is separate. We understand that actually we get to use what we've got to benefit the whole. So what we find in the Acts part, which is where we get to the bit now, Acts 2.45, they sold property, they sold what they got and their possessions to give to anyone who had need. See, when we understand who we are together as family, it causes us to understand that actually we own who we are together as family. Remember what Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is? Like when we give, we're giving in order to say we own the whole. We own the whole of our identity together. We give because we own the shared sense of purpose we have together. That we're family. And therefore we own it. And we own both the purpose we're about, the identity we share, but we also own the situations that each of us are facing. And so that we ensure that we use what we've got to benefit the whole. Which therefore means that what I've got isn't mine anymore. It's ours. Because God the Father has given everything. And so he's caused me to be part of the family. And so now, actually, everything is no longer, well, I'll kind of be the family with this part of my life. But actually, this part of my life, that's still Adrian Hurst's part of life. So family over there, Adrian Hurst over here. Now, actually, the whole of my life is now part of this family. I'm whole, I'm all in. And therefore, everything I've got, I want to say, God, would you use it? And that's uncomfortable. Because there's still part of me that sometimes likes coming over here and saying, but this bit's mine. No, no. He held nothing back. That's the family trait, so I want to hold nothing back. In it, it therefore means that we come saying, what I've got isn't mine, it's ours. But also what I need isn't down to me, it's down to us. For some of us, today we just need to hear, you don't need to be alone in what you need. I think that's the thing that breaks me when I see the needs in a nation of food banks. But actually there's just this great need 
but it goes unspoken because there's so much shame attached to saying, I just need help. If you're here and you're in this community, or even if you're not in the community and you need help, please speak because then it allows us to play our part in giving. And for some of us, that's the, the outworking of understanding what it is to be a giving community is to receive. And I've had to learn this one because to be honest, I like giving, I don't really like receiving. Because to receive is quite a humble thing. It's the kind of thing actually I kind of need. And you might find that's an unusual thing to say, but that's actually me being real, that I find it really hard to receive. And the thing I've realized is that that shows that I'm independent and that I think I can do it myself. And therefore, I've been on a journey over the last six months of repenting. In other words, turning away and saying, God, you know what? I want to get better at receiving. Because I want to receive that allows others to give and a receive that says, I'm totally dependent on you, God. Therefore, some of us, we just need to say, I need and I need to receive. Last one, then we'll finish. Last shaping culture is our attitude. We're told this about the Acts community, told it in terms of when they gathered together in a small setting, but it's true for them throughout the whole of their culture is they had glad and sincere hearts. In other words, they live with a deep sense of joy and reality. And that's how to, we're to live with the culture of giving, that we live from a place of our reality, the reality of plenty or the reality of need, that God knows it. Isn't that we try and pretend, oh yeah, we're all like wealthy, so we can just keep giving when we think, man, I've got nothing. But we live from that place, say, God, what I've got, I, I just say, God, would you use? And I don't feel I've got that much, if anything. Or we come and say, God, you know what I've got. And I come with that. So we live from the reality of our place of need or plenty. But from that place of reality, we live with joy. When we give, we don't give kind of begrudgingly in a lot of begaratory or in a way that is, there we go, obligatory way. I was about to make up another word. <laughs> I do it. Um, way of living where we're saying, actually, I better do it. You know, Adrian's kind of talked about, I know where it's going to drill down to. I've got to give money. I better do that. No, it's not that. This is like no other. This isn't like a hard press thing. This isn't like, I know, let's put as many people from the door on the way in with little tubs and they're shaking. Want to give? Want to give? Want to give? Now, this isn't that. We're not going to change how we do the message. It's just actually saying, I want to give out of joy, out of this deep sense of thankfulness of who I am in God and the family I'm part of. I want to give out of joy, out of this sense of thankfulness of what God's giving me in this moment. Whether it feels I've got lots or nothing, I still want to be thankful for what I've got. And then I want to come with a deep sense of joy and thankfulness and say, God, with what I got, would you use it? And what Jesus always says at that moment is remember stories. Remember the feeding of the 5,000? A kid turns up, a kid. They're not kind of rich, are they? Kids. Let's go around to OKC and say, come on then, give us your money. <laughs> a kid turns up, what's they got? They've got their pat lunch. I bet some of them got pat lunches. I says, right, you've got a pat lunch. Great, can we have it? Do you know what the amazing thing is? The kid doesn't say, no, it's mine. He says, yeah, sure, have it. So Jesus takes the pack lunch and does what? Thanks God for the gift. And from the pack lunch, 5,000 men plus women and children are fed. 
that we come with what we've got, with that deep sense of <coughs> sincerity, of reality, of this may feel like I've just come in with my pat lunch. For some of us, it feels more like a banquet. For others of us, it feels like a poor pat lunch. Crisps and a fizzy drink. And we come with it and we say, God, with this, I still come with thankfulness and joy. And I say, God, would you use it? to continue to reveal what? The culture we are, which is your family, with a purpose we're on, which is revealing that you're good. And God loves those moments because what he's going to do is multiply it and do what he only can do, is miraculously do something with what we give to make it go further than we ever thought and dreamt it could do. So will we give ourselves to being centered together in giving? Understanding what we get to reveal when we give. For some of us, we just need to know, man, we're not giving in because it's, you know, oh yeah, it says somewhere in the Old Testament you should give 10%. I don't know if that's before or after tax. Better give that. No, 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 no. That's not, that's not what we're about. Sorry. That's not it. It's we get to reveal the wonder of who God is and what he's done in our salvation of calling us to his family. That's what I do when I give. I say, oh yeah, I'm part of this. Of course, that's part of what I do. Let's see a different way of what we're revealing. Maybe for some of us, it's joining in, saying, man, actually, I'm in. I want to give. My treasure is here. I'm going to start giving in. Coke and crisps or champagne banquet. The reality I'm living in, I'm giving in. For others of us, it's that we receive. That today, I know I've been naughty and kind of finishing late, but I just believe this one, that for some of us we need to receive. For some of us, this, the first thing you need to do when I've finished is come and speak to me and say, Adrian, I need help. What you get from me isn't someone who's judging you, but rather saying, I understand. For others of us, it's that we need to receive the fact that we are children of God. Because if we never ever live from the place of understanding that we're part of his family, that he is our dad. To be honest, this stuff will never make any sense. And for some of us, we need to get to that point and say, do you know what? I never fully appreciated that I'm now part of God's family. And that therefore means that I'm unconditionally loved and accepted by a, a father who's after my best and showed me that through the giving of his son, Jesus. And for some of us here, that will be the first time we've ever done that. For many of us, it will be, we've, we know that Jesus is at the center of life, but we have lived thinking dutiful servants rather than children of God. And God wants you to know that he's your dad and he's after your best. So can we stand? God, you know my frailty and weakness and I pray, God, would you use what you've spoken to change our hearts God, I pray you'd take away the rubbish bits that I've spoken that lessen who you are. And I pray you'd leave us with the purity of what you're about. And I pray, God, where you've spoken to different ones of us, I pray, God, would you cause what you've spoken to bear fruit, fruit as we've sung that lasts. I pray for those of us who need to know you that as a dad, I pray would you come close to us now and say that you are everything we've ever dreamt of and more. I pray for those of us who just need to know that you are a provider. And part of your provision is us as a community. 
that you'd give us boldness to speak up and say, I need help. And I pray for us as a community, I pray we wouldn't ever talk lots about money. We talk lots about giving. A giving God who's given all in order that we could be part of your family and reveal your family knowing we're doing it whenever we're giving. Ask that for your glory only, Jesus. Amen. Okay, as always, three things. If you